This morning, uh, um, there's a gentleman, his name was S.M. Lockridge. He was born Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, born March the 7th, 1913 to April 4th, 2000. He was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, a prominent African-American congregation located in San Diego, uh, California. He was known for his preaching across the United States and around the world. And SM is well known for a a description of Jesus, known as, that's my king. Now, I would like to share it with you. Now, I am going to... I'm going to put this disclaimer. Now, if I suddenly transform into a black southern uh, preacher, I apologize right now. I have listened to this thing several times over, and SM's voice and thing is etched in my brain. So I'm not trying to mock. I'm not trying to do it. But I just found that I, that I suddenly get transported into the south every time. I don't know why. Um, but just picture yourself with me. We're in Gateway Church, deep south. Okay, you can do it. Now, I am going to have a video in the back uh, with, the, with the lyrics or with the words so you can follow along. And Randy, if you can uh, get it going, we'd love to do that. The Bible says, my king, he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteous. Oh, whoa, whoa, is it going? No, nope, slow down. I want to be with you guys so you can see the words because we're good. Ready? He's, oh, start from the beginning. Start right from the beginning, because it just will not work. Ready? Go for it. The Bible says, my king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of the heaven. He's the king of glory, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's infallibly graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of the world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. And he blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him today. Well, my king is the king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. And he's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. And I ask you again, do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. 
His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Oh, well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. So the ones, I, I, I just, again, when we're saying God is good, good, you are good, good, that's what I was thinking about while we're doing this. And this morning, knowing God, this is our desire out of this summer series. We want our lives to be built around this truth. We actually are echoing the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2. And I have the verse up here, he says, whatever gain I had... I counted a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing truth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. I count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ. Just listen to Paul. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes to law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. This is Paul's prayer or heart for the church, but it was his own cry. It's my cry. It's actually, I think, the cry all of us should have. And Paul said this because he understood from his own conversion what it meant to have a revelation of Jesus and the importance of knowing Jesus. And when you don't know him, You see, prior to his conversion, he saw the church, he conversed with Christians, but because he didn't have a revelation of the truth of Christ, his interaction with the church did nothing. Rather, he was actually an enemy to to both. He, He actually hated Jesus and the church. Until one day on the road to Damascus, he is hit by a blinded light. And we all know the story. He met Jesus. And although Paul became physically blind, he was given spiritual sight. And this was the result of not information, but transformation. He suddenly got to meet Jesus, and Paul was changed. And that's the desire of us through this church series that we're going through. We actually don't want to just give you information. We want you to meet Jesus and know him. That's why we're doing this series in the summer. Because knowing is absolutely important as it establishes our faith. Turn to your friend and say, it establishes our faith. Go for it. Just turn to a neighbor and say, it establishes our faith, knowing him. In fact, faith is what establishes our righteousness. You're made righteous by your faith. You're actually made, uh, you are saved by your faith. 
And if you have the wrong theology, you can actually miss out on things. You can think you're righteous, but you're not living out a biblical truth this morning. Here's the truth. If you don't know, you can get in a bunch of trouble. And I don't want to assume that. I'll explain by this. You see, I can assume that we all know Jesus in this room, right? I can assume it. I can say, look, you're all here at church. You all know Jesus, right? Maybe I can say, you know, all our kids, they've grown up in church. They've grown up and they know Christ because they've heard about him all the time. But what's interesting is when our young people and our, and our adults, young adults, when the, when the world and society presents questions that they can't answer, like, why does a loving God allow evil? How can a loving God live out eternal, or give out eternal punishment? Explain the Trinity. How can love or sexuality between two people be evil or wrong? How can a loving God answer prayer for a parking spot but not heal a child where thousands are praying for who has cancer? How can a loving God kill his son? And the fact is, lots leave the church over those questions. And the enemy actually can snatch the word out. It can fall on shallow ground or it can be choked out by the thorns. And so knowing Jesus means you may, not, may or may not have the answer, but you have a revelation. And it changes everything. Because again, revelation It's not just information, it changes, it's transforming. You can say with S.M. Lockbridge, you can say, I know him, and I know the Father, and I know the Son, and I know the Holy Spirit. That's what we're hoping to give, and hoping that this summer series will get you into. Because the Holy Spirit, this is the message that we're hoping in this morning, is the Holy Spirit delights in revealing Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 16, and we're going to read from the Word, verses 1 to, 1 to 15. So. And the verses are up there on the screen, so you can follow along, but if you do have a Bible, please open up, look at your device, just don't play video games, amen? There we go. Oh, the Holy Spirit will get you. Anyway, I'm going to go on. <laughs> I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, he will send him, send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will, know, you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He's going to tell you what's going to happen. He loves to direct our lives to give us what even the pitfalls we're going to hit. 
He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, whatever he will take, what is mine, and declare it to you. Lord, just thank you for your word, and we just pray right now. Would you let the truths of this now pierce us, transform us, and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to give you a little bit of context of John 16, so you don't see me just pulling this out of, uh, out of nowhere. There, there, the Holy Spirit is one of the central themes of the Gospel of John, in correlation with deep revelation of Jesus. The Gospel of John is unique, though, in that it gives different perspectives than the other Gospels mention. It, it actually tells stories that are exempt from the other Gospels. John will say things that Mark does not say, or Matthew or Luke. And he gives these little bit of tidbits that were the uh, same Gospel or the story of Jesus, but little different parts. I'll give you an example. The wedding of Canaan. It's not mentioned in the other Gospels. The other one is Nicodemus. But I love the story of Nicodemus because Nicodemus is neat. A, a, a righteous religious leader coming and saying, can you, I have a question for you. And Jesus then throws some theological oomphs to him about the Holy Spirit and also deep, deep things for us about our faith. For example, you must be born again. John just drops a bomb to Nicodemus because what does it mean to be born again? He's saying, unless you're born of the Spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives life, and the, spirit, and the flesh counts for nothing. Oh, but then he also goes and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God has not come to condemn the world, that, that's John, that's that John 3 that we, we would have because John wanted to record things that the other guys didn't. Well, in, Ma, in John 16, it's in the middle, middle of, it's John 13 to 16. What this is, John, sorry, John 13 to 17 is a different take of the Last Supper. And it's not recorded in the other Gospels. In chapter 14 and 16, we get this theology of the Holy Spirit. We get to find who the Holy Spirit is and what he's like. And the significance of these verses, why I want you to think about what he was talking about, these verses, they're the last teachings before his death. If you were to die today, what would you say to your loved ones? That's what these passages are about. And John gives this take. Jesus says this, don't worry. It's better that I leave that the Holy Spirit come. That's, that's what he just said in these, in these verses. What could be better than having Jesus right there with us? What's better than having the Son of God right with you? What's better walking hand in hand with the creator of the universe? And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit. So think about how important this person is. And Jesus saying how important he is meant, he's supposed to be to us. His last dying wish. And that's what an incredible truth, because the, tr the truth then unpacked is this. Not that only through the cross and the resurrection of, of Christ do we have forgiveness of sins, but now we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. In John 14, verse 6, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, 
for he dwells within you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as, an, as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Because of the Spirit placed inside you. Holy Spirit dwelling in you and I. And what does the Holy Spirit do in you and I? He does many things. I mean, I could go, that's a whole other sermon. We're going to be here for three hours. No, it's joking here. He gives wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and the fear of the Lord. He produces the fruit of the Spirit. He lives in you and he is the power. That's what he is. And he, why, what he wants to do in you and me, his delight and pleasure is to glorify Jesus. That's, that's all he's after. That Jesus would be glorified in you and me, Pete. That's all he's looking for. All these gifts of wisdom and everything isn't so that we look good, it's that he looks good. And this is what he says in, in John 16, or 16 verse 14. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has in me, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Holy Spirit just wants to reveal Jesus to you and me. He earnestly wants to point us back to, G- to Christ, but he wants to help us to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of the enemy or off the world, and back into Jesus. He wants to bring us back to the Father and to his love. That's every day he's crying. He's going, oh, can't we just be, why don't you just come to Jesus? Why don't you just come close to the Lord? Every day he's inside prompting me, trying to say, you know what? You do, just put that away. Don't, don't look at that. That pales towards what you were created for. He's the one that takes all that Jesus has and makes it happen in you and me. Do you get an idea of how important this person is? how much we need him. And so this morning, I want to unpack how the Holy Spirit delights in revealing Jesus. I'm going to give you three thoughts. The first thing the Holy Spirit delights in revealing Jesus is in this. We read the scripture, he's helping against lies. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. You know what? There's an interesting problem for us that we have to deal with as human beings. We are susceptible to lies. It's, I, I, I have to admit, I recently got caught in a pig in a poke. I'll say it again. I recently got caught in a pig in a poke. Okay, now you're thinking, what are you talking about? What is a pig in a poke, right? Well, Well, dating back to the medieval times, this term came out when a seller was offered a pig in a poke or a bag. They would show the person the little pig and and put it in a bag. The person then purchased the pig would discover when they took it home that instead of a pig, it was a cat. Thus Thus the term, the cat is out of the bag, came out. And what happened is this is... uh, This is called, in modern terms, a phantom goods scam. That's what it's called. 
The scam or lie is a huge within our market, actually, as I soon discovered. What happened is this. I decided to play with one of my sons a game, uh, and it's one of these online games just to have fun and whatever. And so it was, no, it, was, it was free. It was no big deal. But my son, well, he thought he'd give me some, he would help me. So he gave me one of his accounts, one of these accounts that I could, that I could start, didn't have to start from scratch. So in February, I got this account, and I'm playing this game, and I was getting into it, man. I just, for like, I had this thing right up till we were on holidays, and I'm playing, doing fun things, five months of time invested in this little game. And then suddenly what happened one day, I went to go and start the game, and boom, I couldn't, couldn't, go, couldn't get into it. And I'm like, what? I check it. No, nope, password's been changed. Password's been changed. Password's been changed. I'm like, what? What's going on? I then asked my son. I said, what happened? He said, oh, I bought the account online. I bought it on eBay. I, they probably changed the password on you. All I screamed, I was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I found out that as they swapped the password, there was nothing we could do. Uh, I soon discovered that this is actually a very common problem, as I asked various, uh, you know, help, internet help and that. Um, what, the int- what I found is that, that I soon discovered that this is so common that the internet now, internet now, the selling of goods to actually have the wrong item or no item sent to that person or to be taken back that actually everyone has experienced it or knows somebody that has had it. Have you had somebody have that to you, or has it happened to you? Okay, or you all know now because I just explained you. I got caught in a pig and a poke. Um, in fact, what they said, the industry says this phantom good scam is, a, is actually every person has been affected to about $1,400 each if we were to actually take it and sort of average it out. That's a lot. And I was kind of comforted to know that, okay, I didn't put the money, but five months, I was very discouraged. Like, man, I feel lied to. I got cheated. Who would do this to me? And then I realized that, uh, have, you, have we ever, has anyone else fallen for a lie? Do you think I'll fall for a lie again? Do you think I, I, I realize that I'm very susceptible? And maybe even not intentionally, but someone else doing something else could cause where I'm affected by that lie. Sometimes it's not even things that you have done, but something that someone else has done that now you are a part of it because that is the world we live in. We live in a broken and fallen world. It's happened right at the beginning and it's happening right now as we battle the father of lies. And in John 16, he says, if we fall, you know, we can fall away. I have said these things to keep you from falling away. Paul speaking to the Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What had happened to the Galatian church is they were actually received a lie. Paul had come and shared Jesus with them, but now some false teachings had come in and they changed their faith to Jesus and. Jesus and this. Jesus and that. And what he says to me, he says, you have, someone has bewitched you. You have fallen from grace. Is it possible that a whole church buy into a lie? Absolutely. Paul is addressing that in Galatia. And the reality that as we can all fall away, the challenge is the church not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. How can you keep faithful to your spouse or, your lo- or love your children in a, in a culture that's so self-absorbed and so sex 
driven. How? How do you not conform to that? How do you live this Christian life? And what does it mean to actually be countercultural? That's what Jesus is wanting to know. He goes, I've said these things so you won't fall away. The gospel is that we are in need of a savior, but we are actually in need of constant renewal. That's the important thing. Did you know, church, we need to be renewed? Did you know today, church, actually the church in North America is not doing so well? In fact, sometimes I think we can be sucked into so many lies. Oh God, how are we ever going to get, what is ever going to stir us out of apathy or what is going to ever stir us out of our own selfishness? What would ever stir us up? I have good news. The Holy Spirit is the, is the one who reveals Christ to us and he will help us to defeat and deal with lies. It's totally with the uh, children of Israel. God did that with them because they got saved. They went to Mount Sinai. They were led through the desert. They had manna. But you know what? They often fell away. They often would turn away from God. They would get fall. The Israelites were no different than us. But this is the neat thing. In Ezekiel 36, this is the promise that we have today. Talking to God's people, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put, with, put it within you. And I will move the heart of stone from, the, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. That's the promise we live today. That's what we have. Spirit dwelling in you and me to help us against lies. You know, at John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And a branch that is not connected withers away. So the solution is the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this. It's helping through suffering. Verse 2, I will put... I will put you out of the synagogue, or they will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they do not know the Father nor me. See, the problem with us as human beings is that we're actually susceptible to lies, but when we're actually going through suffering, that's when we're actually the most vulnerable. You see, our souls are made up of mind, or our intellect, or our heart, feelings, and our strength, which is our will. That's why we're called to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All your soul is meant to love him. Our souls are eternal, and that's the part that's going to be connected with him. But did you know your soul is a part of your flesh? You can have a soulish response, a fleshly response, because you go by your feelings. My soul could say, that's a good idea. Oh, you know what? Doing that, it feels really good. But that feeling may not be the best thing. That, in particular, is what I find the challenge in a world, like I said, so sex-obsessed. When you're going, well, why don't I watch this? Why don't I do this? Because I want to stay faithful to my wife. And my feelings at this point now have to be put in check, right? Because not everything that I feel is doing leads to good. But God wants to lead me to his ultimate good. And the Spirit is the one that's going to help me. The Bible says we're not to be led by our flesh, but led by the Spirit. We're not to be led by our feelings. Not saying that feelings aren't bad. We're supposed to use them 
and worship and all these things, but we're not led by them. Here's the problem with suffering. It's easy to have faith in Jesus when the sun is shining on you and all it's meant to be, but what happens when there's pain in the offering? See, Job was a righteous man, but you know what? After losing his wealth, losing his kids, finally losing his own personal health, his, his wife, give, wife gives him the best advice. Curse God and die. Thank you, honey. That really helps to build up and edify me. I appreciate that. Job won't do that, but what he does is he does what every single one of us does when we are suffering. He questions God. When we face trials, when we we ask, is it fate, chance, or bad luck? Is it some sort of divine judgment? Is this punishment? Are we pawns in some large cosmic wager? Like Job, we question, why is this happening? Have you ever asked that question? If you've suffered, yes. If you've lost a lot, like a loved one, You totally get it. What do you do when you're suffering? He wants an answer from God, and he's not satisfied by the debate of a friend, only when God speaks out of the whirlwind and he hears the Lord. And that's what happens in Job chapter 42. And I'm going to read from the message. The passage is up here. Look at Job's response when he hears God. We need to hear God in the midst of suffering. Job answered, I am convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this that muddied the water, arrogantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit I was the one. I'm the one questioning. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give, me, you give the answers. I admit, once I lived by rumors of you, now I have it all firsthand. For my own eyes and ears, I'm sorry, forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay, crumbs of rumor, because I've heard you. I know you. You see, with suffering, I wouldn't know what to do with it, except this is the neat part. Through Emmanuel, God with us, he shows us what he does with suffering. God takes the most horrific event in human history to actually make it for you and I our good. If any time on dealing with suffering, the first thing God says is, look to the cross, look to my son. Look how he trusts me. Look how he did good. And look how I can work everything for good for those who love me. And I also have a resurrection and a life. And the neat thing is the Holy Spirit is the one that helps me and reminds me of that. That through the suffering, he's the resurrection life. I'm gonna, I, I was really neat because I was just this week at Lynn Musgrove's uh, funeral. And Ken, you did a fantastic job. It was absolutely a celebration of life. And I, I was absolutely gripped. But the neat thing in this celebration of, of Lynn who passed away just very recently... I was there and they said, one of the things they would love for us to do is to have a time to talk with and fellowship with one another. So I did that. I, I, I sat over here and I, I leaned over and I talked to three people. I talked to, I found it were two nurses and the doctor for Lynn. And what I found out interesting is they're near, now here at this lady's funeral. And I was like, why were you here? And she goes, they said, I, we don't understand, but she was, she was just the most amazing person. And she impacted everybody in the hospital. 
As Ken said, she went through suffering all of her life, but somehow in the midst of that, she was the one always affirming and loving other people. She had a power and a strength that even the doctors and the nurse said, there is something different. She's shining like a star in a crooked and depraved world. And we want to go and see her funeral. And at her funeral, they hear about Jesus. See, God can help us through the Holy Spirit through suffering. And the last one is this, is helping by bringing conviction. This to me is the most important because the helper will come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Judgment. The thing I I love about this is because sometimes I think, oh, the world needs to be convicted, but the truth is even sometimes I need conviction. Every good story uh, talks about this. Um, I was reading this um, Donna Mills book on branding and on storytelling and Christopher's book, The Seven Basic Plots. And what they say, there's an interesting theory or thought through every good story. Every good story has a protagonist that offers a problem and when he decides to take care of it, a mentor comes in and helps him. Someone like this. We have Gandalf for the Lord of the Rings. We have Mickey, who is Rocky Balboa's coach. Everybody know Rocky well. We also have Mr. Miyagi. He helped with the Karate Kid, Danielson. And we have Obi-Wan from Star Wars to help Luke. All good stories have a mentor who come along and say, I will help you so that they can accomplish Well, because life is a story, the beautiful thing about Christianity is we realize we're not the authors. We recognize that we have an author who's writing history, but it's his story. And the master author provides a mentor for us, a helper. And not just any mentor, the author comes into the story to become the helper. What story do you know of that? The person who's actually formulating and everything says, oh, I'm going to help now. You see, it's the Holy Spirit now that makes the Bible come alive. It's the Holy Spirit that now makes everything. I need wisdom. I need help. And he says, oh, I'm here to help you. And that throws everything because God is not then therefore far off. He has not out left us alone. And that's why he says, you will not be left as orphans. The Holy Spirit being the one that comes and abides in us. And Christian faith does not leave you to your own devices to think up stuff. You're given direction by the Holy Spirit. He actually tells you how it works. He says, wax on, wax off kind of thing. This is how you're to behave. This is right. This is wrong. I'm not going to leave you alone. An example of this is Mark Clark. Mark Clark, who is an atheist, now pastor, makes this statement. If a person is a naturalist or a secularist or an atheist, there is a reality. They do not have an instructor. Mark shares when he was 15 years old and his dad died at the age of 47, he grew up in an agnostic home. He was standing over his father's casket and he had no one to help him with the worldview questions that were racing through his mind. His parents couldn't answer the questions of origin or meaning of morality or destiny or the point of evil. His parents couldn't answer them because there was no authoritative storyteller. There was no one that could mentor him. Jesus says we have a guide and he brings conviction. 
He's telling us not to go by every impulse you have. He's telling you to, he's trying to help you with things about God and philosophy and business and sexuality. Actually, that's the neat thing is today you absolutely need him for life. In him we live and move and have our being, which means tomorrow when you wake up, you need God to help you in every area. And for conviction. I'm going to give you an example, and I close with this thought, and then I'm going to give a couple applications, which are real quick. So you know, over the holidays, what happened was this, is I was with a bunch of family members, and during this time, uh, what happened was I, I certainly were talking with a family member, and this family member is very, very, likes American politics. So we were having a discussion, and suddenly I made his comment about the uh, uh, 2016 elections. Well, no sooner has I just made a comment, all of a sudden the conversation started to get a little bit more intense. And then it got a little bit more intense. Have you ever had those conversations about politics? And you're going, well, okay, whoa. Every day. No, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, we just pray for Andrew right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> but it got to such a place that I remember this uh, I, I, I started to go down this road. The person said, well, I think you're listening to ill-informed and stupid people. I responded, well, so, okay, okay, wait. So what I hear you saying is that because I listen to a source that you disagree with, I feel you're calling me ill-informed and stupid. Now, I'm thinking it's best to share my feelings because I know where this conversation's going, and I'm hoping that they'll clarify, I'm not saying you're stupid. But there was no response. So now I have a problem because their lack of response is now making me have a response and the response is not, shall we say, godly. <laughs> See, I don't mind if people disagree with me, but shooting down my perspective or calling me stupid, now I'm taking it personal. And I'm just starting to rage. Like there is fuel coming. Like I'm thinking, as Lord, would you cause fire to come down on my fists and I will now just help this person be persuaded in the name of the Lord that, you know, God has a five-fold ministry and I'm about ready to use it. I believe on the laying on of hands, that kind of thing, you know, like. But in the midst of this, suddenly, the, it's, no, the Holy Spirit said, whoa, stop, take a walk. I did. I, I, it was not, I know it was the Holy Spirit because this is not me. My flesh is going, anyway, so I go for a walk. I said, I got to go for a walk. So I go for a long walk. I decided to go for a walk and it's going to be a long one. And I'm walking and I'm talking to the Lord. I'm like, God, I can't believe this person. I, I was sharing my heart. And I, and I was like, man, Lord, I know you love them. You love them more than I do. Oh, Lord, you love them. And Lord, I know they deserve. And I was going down this road and I was like, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And all of a sudden it stopped and he said, why did you take it personal? I had this feeling, why did you take it personal? I thought he would convict him of his sin when I'm praying for him. I thought I would be praying and he would somehow change. And God says, whoa, slow down, bucko. Um, why did you? And all of a sudden, I found my heart being switched to a place of repentance, actually. His kindness leading me to repentance. And now, because this person's older, I, 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 like literally, we sometimes think, I don't know how, many, how much longer we're going to be able to interact with them. They could die. Imagine if that was my last words in anger. 
So I went back, and when I went back to the person who went to try to talk with them, all of a sudden they're like, they didn't want to talk. They were like, this, oh yeah, just forget it. We'll just move on. And I'm like, yeah, I can get on with it. Woo! Just push it under the rug. And the Holy Spirit says, ah, ah, ah. No, no, that's not how I, I live in truth. You need to share how you sinned. What? How am I supposed to, you're supposed to share their sins. No, no. Confess your sins with one another and you shall, right? Walk in the light as he is light and you have fellowship with one another. So I go, okay, I better. And so I do this. And what it did was in suddenly this beautiful rejoining. We survive politics. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. So in closing with these applications, thank you for letting me go a little bit long, but um, I just want you to know you need the Holy Spirit. We need a revival. We need renewal. We need to become so desperate. Ron said, do you have a prophetic word this morning? I said, no, it's just not God make us desperate again. We're trying to do this on our own strength. And the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals Jesus. I need him. I need him for everything. I need him to tackle all the lies. I need him through suffering. I need him to convict the world, but I also need him to convict me. I need him to convict the church again. We are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit with this. And I just started getting, that's been my amped up coming home and saying, you know, I appreciate that we have a church that we get to talk about the Holy Spirit, but not just talk, know him. So here's some applications. If you want to see loved ones or even our church renewed, prayer is our best weapon to defeat the schemes of the enemy. So the Holy Spirit can overcome the lies of the enemy. There's a reason why we have prayer summits. Please come out this week and pray with us. You can pray individually and you can fast and pray. We do that individually, but there's something powerful about corporate prayer. We've been seeing things move. We've been seeing God operating because if you call on me, I will answer. But for us, even in the middle of summer, and I know it's not out of legalism, it's out of desperation. Can you come out and can you just say, God, help me to pray. Teach me how to pray. That's the first application. The other thing is this, is take off the burden of salvation. Did you know you cannot save anyone? I can't save anyone. It's God who saves. And maybe you have someone who's fallen away. Good news, the Holy Spirit is our helper. And his job is to convict of sin. We're not praying out of judgment. We're, we are not the judge. God is, but like Jesus who prayed from the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Maybe you have a lost one or a loved one. It's okay for you to say, God, convict them. Holy Spirit's saying it's okay. Please can, don't stop. Don't stop. One of the stories that I've been impacted with is suddenly meeting with someone, they, they were actually literally had turned away from God for all their lives. And then all of a sudden, a pastor, because of out of the blue, felt the Holy Spirit talking, that they said, my pastor, or my friend is in the hospital, he goes see him, the pastor went there, and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I just was coming because I thought, friend said, I wanted to meet you. And anyway, through this quick conversation, at the end of their life, they came back to Jesus. Because of listening to the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you've been going through suffering and you need a comforter. You need a helper. You have not been orphaned. And I just want to leave that for you today. Come, we would like to pray for you. Or maybe this is just it. You just want more of Jesus in your life. You want to be filled.